How many of you guys have played Halloween pranks this year? Anybody? Halloween pranks? But don't admit that. We're going to come after you. Yeah, well, hopefully you didn't do any of those. I remember when I was younger, I think I was in like third or fourth grade, my sister and I, we have an older brother. He's 15 years older than us, so he's quite a bit older. And he took us on this ride to get ice cream, just like, it was a few nights before Halloween. But it was up north in Massachusetts. You guys know where that is? It's like so far away. It's like way up north. It's a cold tundra. I don't know what the deal is there, but... It's this cold, cold place up in New England, and so it was just around Halloween time. It was dark. He's like, I want to take you guys for ice cream. And we're like, yeah, yes, let's go. Let's do this. Let's go get ice cream. We jump in the car, and he had like one of those little hot rod like Mustang cars. It was like a sweet car back then, and he takes us out, and we go get our ice cream, and on our way home, we pass by this cemetery, and it's almost Halloween. It's dark. It's cold. And in New England, like, it's cold. Like, this isn't cold. Like, what we've seen over the last couple days, that's nothing. But, like, by now, there are no, like, leaves on the trees. So they all look like they're about to, like, claw you and eat you. Like, the trees are, like, scary and eerie looking. And, like, just everything's different and a lot, a lot scarier at night. And he's like, let's just, I don't know, take a shortcut through this cemetery. And I'm, like, in third grade. I'm looking at my sister like, Like, what's he thinking? We can't do that. Do you see how scary it is out there? And I'm freaking out. I'm, like, licking my ice cream cone still, like, ah, let's not go through. And he's, like, boom, sure enough, he pulls through. And so he starts being, like, all, like, you know how big brothers get, and they, like, talk it up a lot. And he's, like, I wonder what's behind that gravestone over there. And I'm, like, nah. I'm, like, eating out of nerves now, just, like, pounding my ice cream. Like, I don't want to be in here. I'm so scared. And he's, like, talking the story up worse and worse. And he goes, what would happen? If we tried to get out and all the gates in the cemetery were locked, and by now I'm just like freaking out, like I'm, I'm basically peeing myself in the back seat. I'm just like so scared, right? And so he, we pull out to like leave, and sure enough, as we get there, to my brother's surprise, the gate's locked. And he's looking at the time, and, and we look up like at the little placard on the gate, and it said that it had closed like about five minutes ago, the whole cemetery. And so he's, like, freaking out, like, oh, man, I thought this was going to be a joke. So he steps in the gas, and he's, like, peeling through this cemetery to get to another gate. We get to the next gate. Sure enough, it's locked. Three gates go down, all locked. By this point, my brother's just chucking his ice cream out the window because he can't focus. He's just, like, freaking out with us. And we get to the last gate, and it is closed, and there's a big chain around it. And he pulls right up to it and, like, just stops and just hangs his head, like, what did I do? And just at that time... This dude jumps out of the bushes, right? This crazy dude is going to shovel. He was just the gardener, though. He had just locked the gate. And so we thought we were going to die, but he was just going to open the gate for us. It was kind of cool. But the funny thing was, I think my brother literally peed his pants at that time. I had only talked about doing it. He actually did it, right? And so pranks sometimes turn around on us, and they're, they're funny at first until you get caught in the middle of it, right? And um, when we... We all kind of like to do that. We sit around campfires and we tell stories. We like to try to like, get a rise out of each other, tell each other scary stories. And we, there are certain figures that kind of stand out in our minds as the scariest ones, right? I don't know what the scariest figure for you is or character is. If I were to mention it tonight, like, clown. Some of you guys just freaked out just be saying clown. Like, a clown, the figure, the thought of a clown freaks you out. Um, Grim Reaper, like, all these different, like figures that we have in our minds that freak us out. And tonight we're in a passage, we're still going through 1 John, Experience Real series, right, where John wants us to know what genuine faith looks like, how we can know that we have saving faith in Jesus Christ and be sure about that faith. And he takes this portion of where we're at tonight in chapter 2, and he talks about false teachers. 
And he talks about some things that, that threaten the faith of believers. And he uses a word that might be like one of those kind of scary figures to you guys. And you've heard the word over and over. You've heard the word antichrist, right? And he uses this over and over. And sometimes in church settings, we hear that word and we have certain pictures in our minds that automatically kind of like freak us out. Or just like we, we really have no clue, but we like painted our own picture of what we think that looks like. And so John tonight is going to talk about this concept of antichrist. And so I want to take a few minutes to camp there so we really get a good picture of what John's actually saying. And we kind of take that, that made-up concept, scary story mindset of antichrist, and we really grasp what John's getting at by using that concept tonight. All right? So let's, will you read with me? We're in 1 John chapter 2. We're starting in verse 18. He says, children, remember he calls them children. He has all this affection for this church that he loves. He says, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father, the Son, has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, I know there's a lot of stuff packed into that, short, that passage right there. But the thing that I want us to start off looking at is that he points out the elephant in the room, right? This, this concept of antichrist, and as we tear that word apart, we, it's, it's kind of two words. We're going to do a little grammar study. I know how much you guys love those, but you know how I'm a freak about words, right? And so I love talking about words. Anti isn't from the Latin, which you probably know. Like when we say anti, it means opposite, right? Anti, I'm anti like elephants. It means like I hate elephants, right? That's anti. But this is from the Greek. And the Greek anti means in place of. It means substitute for. That's how the Greek uses that. And so this here saying antichrist means in place of or substitute for Christ. And so when he's talking in that first verse, he says it's the last hour you've heard that this substitute of Christ is coming. Something that wants to take the place of Jesus. He says, so now many of these, these little substitute Christs have come. Well, just stop for a second. That doesn't sound all that different 2,000 years ago from where we're sitting today. Surrounded by things that want to become our substitute Lord. Our substitute Savior. Our substitute Christ. 
things that want to rule our lives. You, you and I have to fight every single day against the things that would vie for our attention and our desire. We see it on TV. We hear it in music. Our friends are constantly coming up to us, telling us about new things they've seen. We live in such a society that we constantly see new stuff that's saying, look at me. Look at me. Want me. Love me. We see commercials. We see advertisements. We see things calling out to us to say, give me your attention. You see, the thing about Christ, as John keeps using that word abide that you heard over and over and over again in this passage and throughout everything John writes, that word abide means remain in. It's John who talks about us being controlled, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians, be controlled by Christ. And this antichrist, this substitute Christ, is wanting to control you. It's coming and saying, I want to be what you worship. I want to be where your eyes are focused, what you're living for, what your schedule revolves around. I want your affection and your attention. And automatically, we, we want to say that this Antichrist he's talking about is the Antichrist, but he doesn't use the word the here. We know he's not talking about what he talks about in Revelation later who is a specific person coming, who is the Antichrist. In this passage, he's saying the spirit of Antichrist, this, this substitution for Jesus. The things in your life that want to claim you and make your eyes turn away from the one true Lord Jesus Christ. You guys, we're surrounded by that. It's a daily battle for us to wake up and to fight against those things that are going to fight for our desires. And so John warns us here because he's talking about genuine faith, remember? And this is a church that, that there's these Gnostics that are saying, like, we just want to be free. Sin's not that big of a deal because the flesh doesn't matter as much as spiritual things. And so we can sin. It's not that big of a deal. And they're walking around with this license to, like, say, I love Jesus, but I still can sin all I want. It doesn't matter. And John's saying genuine faith looks like you abiding in Jesus and obeying his commandments. But... In the process of all that, like we saw last week, there's this discipleship thing that happens in us, this sanctification process that happens where the Holy Spirit's working in you and changing you. And there's this battle that's raging around you that's saying, no, I want your attention. I want to be your Christ, your little Christ. I want to be your Lord. And so John says, be careful because there are, this is among you. This is around you. And in a minute, he's going to say, this is even inside your church. There are those who have been in your church preaching these things, this other theology, this other doctrine about God, that's totally false. Remember what you learned at the beginning, he says. And see, so what happened was these guys, they basically left that body to start their own little groups of people that, that were believing other things and they were taking people out of the true church with them. And that's why he says, it's okay that they've gone out from us because now we can see who actually believes in Jesus, who has true saving faith. They've separated themselves out. It's become plain to us what they're actually about. I pray for us that it would be plain to us when these other things come vying for your attention. Vying to say, make me your Christ. Make me the Lord of your life. 
Worship me above everything else. Pay most attention to me. And see, the thing is, it's tricky when this happens. It almost goes unnoticed. You and I don't wake up thinking today, I want to go like, I want to go worship something else. I'm tired of Jesus. We wake up and things start to just kind of whisper into our ears or get our attention little by little. And before we know it, we slowly make our way over. And so we're just surrounded by these other things that we're worshiping and basically controlled by. And before you even look up, you're just, you're just in it, neck deep. And you're like, what happened when I was following Christ and I was on fire for him and I was passionate for my Jesus? What happened when Jesus was the most important thing in my life? But because I didn't constantly look to Christ and throw myself at his feet and follow Jesus, I slowly started to take these steps and let other things control me. And then one day I look up. I'm stuck in the middle of that. I'm worshiping other things. I'm not saying you have some little idol sitting in your room somewhere in your dresser, but maybe it's your friends. Maybe the the idea that you would have these like friends around you, like thinking you're just like so awesome and so popular, and so maybe that controls you. Maybe the way you play on a sports field and what people think about you as a football player or a cheerleader or a tennis player, maybe those things control you that, man, I want to make these people love me for what I can do, and I'm kind of so caught up in that. Jesus who? And there's a list of things. We know them well, don't we? I don't even have to list them tonight. They're already flooding into our minds as, as we're talking about this. Like, those things that want to substitute Jesus in our lives, that want to replace this faith that would say, Christ, I believe in you more than anything, and I know I need you to forgive me. I know I need your grace in my life more than anything else. But then there's these things. And so John says, look at at John's words for us. He says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And John gives us some amazing advice here. Because as we look through what we would call today religions or philosophies or even sometimes denominations of churches, this is a guiding point for us. Because the person that would come to you and replace Jesus or his divinity as God, perfect son of God, 100% God, 100% man, And they would mess with that and say, maybe he was just a good guy. Or maybe he was an awesome prophet. Or maybe he was, you name it. John tells us clearly, that is a lie. Remember what you first believed. As you placed your faith in the God of the universe. In a power that was big enough to save you and forgive you of your sin. Remember, as you placed your faith in Jesus because he was actually strong enough and perfect enough to save and forgive you. And so as these people would come along and try to tell you that Jesus, oh, he's okay, or yeah, he's a good guy, or John's saying that's a lie. That's something you don't touch. That's something that is an absolute truth that we must hold so firm to that Jesus is the only Christ. Nothing else can ever satisfy you. No one else 
can ever save or forgive you. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And as we take that into the practical side of our lives, guys, like that's how I live every day. That's how we need to live every day. As we get up and we're being attacked by these things that want our attention and our worship, this is what we say. Jesus is the one I worship. Jesus is the center of my gaze. Jesus is who I love and depend on with all my heart more than any of these other things. He says, Jesus is the center of this whole thing. And he says, this is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So this spirit of Antichrist is seeking to replace Jesus in your life. To take your affection away from Christ and put it on itself. So John goes down a little further and this is what he says. He says, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. He's going back to this idea of like, what is true saving faith look like? If you've placed this gaze on Jesus that says, Lord, you're everything to me. I bow at your feet. I need you and you alone. He does a work in your heart. He does something that causes you to say, I want to remain in that. I want to stay in you. I want to abide in you. And his promise for us is that as we abide in Jesus, that he will abide in us. He promises that that Holy Spirit that he sends will begin to work in you and you start to look at your life and say, man, I, I used to be like really like all about these things over here that now I can clearly see they're no God at all. These things are no God at all. I love, the, you know, the quote, like the Hulk, you guys know the Hulk when he's like, puny God, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about from Avengers? That's what I think of. He's like grabbing these and going, puny God, like those things can't rule my life. Those things can't save me. They can't free me from my sin and my shame and my guilt and my brokenness. These things are powerless. There's these, there are these temporary things that want to just try to make me feel good for a time. Give me this pleasure that thinks, man, if they would just think this way of me, if I could just look like this when I look in the mirror, if I could just impress these people or have this thing, man, I'd feel so much better. And I just think, like, puny God. None of that stuff is going to really, truly do anything for me. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can fill the brokenness and the hurt and the emptiness that I have. Only Jesus can tell, you, tell me how much I'm worth and my true value and my identity. Only Jesus can do those things. He's the only one worthy to bear the title Christ. Remember Philippians chapter 2? God gave him the name that is above every name and he calls him Lord. He is Christ. He is the king of our lives, and he is the only one worthy to bear that name. I love that he promises us something. Look down just a little bit. He says, and this is the promise from this worthy Lord, this king that we can trust. This only one deserving to be called Christ promises us this. This is the promise that he made to us, it says. Two words. Eternal life. He took me, broken, dead Rob Jones, and you gave me life. You took my sin, and you forgave it, and you washed it away, so that when God looks at me, you know what he sees? The righteousness 
of Jesus. Something I don't deserve. I know that better than any of you. And yet he sees Jesus and he gives me not just life. He gives me eternal life with him. Forgiveness. And it's a promise. It's a trustworthy promise that can never be broken. It says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you because like, they're actually literally out there trying to deceive you. Do you realize that? Do you take that for granted? Do you think, nah, not me, like I'm cool. I'm fine, no one's gonna convince me of anything. No one's trying to deceive me of anything, I'm fine. I wanna tell you, John says, no, you're wrong. This world's job is to come to you and say, hey, Morgan, I want you to believe this. Hey, Rachel, have you thought about this? The world is actively trying to deceive you. And in this passage, this church, there were these people that were literally trying to deceive them with their thoughts about who God was. But take it beyond that. And in your life, no matter where you go, you're going to encounter the world, and Satan's going to be on attack against you because he knows you love Jesus. And he's going to be constantly trying to convince you otherwise and deceive you. And it might be places that you don't expect. Can I just be honest with you? There are many places, many churches today that are slowly making that shift into a theology that, that lines up with these guys and not with, with what John's saying. There are many churches that are na- changing the signs on their buildings because now they're saying, you know what? Like the things in the Bible, they might be true, but I think they're more like kind of just these like stories, these metaphors. I'm not sure we should take it literally. You could turn on the television. I was watching some, some stuff on television last night. I just wanted to hear what some of these guys were saying, these televangelists that are on there. You can watch, and they're talking about that idea of like, I'm not sure the Bible's totally serious about what it's saying. You guys, the world is actively trying to deceive you. That means lie to you. To get you to replace the truth about who Jesus Christ is, the one and only Son of God, the only one who can save you, and replace it, substitute that with a really, really crappy substitute. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had to substitute something for something else? Like... I remember when I was in Guatemala, I had some friends, and I like to cook. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but I like to cook. And uh, I was kind of like the, the cook for my buddies up there in Guatemala. We were all missionaries living together, and I would cook stuff. And I wanted to make this, like, um, they like, Rachel loves these, like, chocolate-covered fruit is, like, a big thing there. So we'd, like, take all this different fruit and cover it in chocolate, put it on a stick and freeze it. It's so delicious. And so I didn't have pineapple, and everybody loves Choco piña, which is chocolate pineapple, right? And so I took some mangoes. Go out and grab some mangoes, cut them up off a tree. I'm like, it's a mango. I freeze them. I've never seen it before. I've never seen them do it. But So I chocolate these mangoes up, and I give them to my friends. And um, this one girl ate it, and she, was, she loved it. She was raving. She had like two or three of them. Until a few minutes later, man, her lips swelled up like a duck-billed platypus. I mean, she was like, <laughs> she just swelled. I was like, what did I do to you? Like, I'm so sorry. And uh, 
But like two days later, they didn't go down. Her lips are still like this big and they start to peel. And like, it's like her lips are like peeling. And then a couple days later, like it had peeled off and like stained her like skin, like white all the way. She looked like the Joker a little bit, you know, like why so serious? You know, like she had this like crazy, she was that way for like a couple months. I didn't know people could be allergic to mango when I like substitute, bad substitute, right? Terrible substitute for this poor girl who had no idea. I was with Fayez in the Middle East. We were on this trip in the Middle East. And they can't eat certain things there, right? And so everywhere we go, it's like hummus and like, uh, what was it, like goat. I think it was like goat and hummus was like most of what we ate like the whole time that we were there. So we get back to this like city area where there's a pizza hut. And we're like, yes, we're getting pizza hut. This is going to be great. And so I order a pizza with double pepperoni and double bacon on it. I'm like, yeah, because they don't eat pig, right? And so sorry, Mallory, I know. Um, It's not vegan, right? So I am so pumped about this until I eat it and find out that it's a substitute bacon and a substitute pepperoni because they don't eat pig there. So I'm eating this like turkey bacon. It was like cardboard. It was terrible. It's like these substitutes. Like I'm sure you could tell us about some delicious substitutes of like soy cheese and things, right? That like are so, I can just imagine, so wonderful. Like yuck, these substitutes are just never quite up to par with the real thing, right? They're never up to par. You know what's a good substitute? Jesus. Jesus is an awesome substitute for me. When he went to the cross so I didn't have to. When Jesus paid a penalty I could never pay. That is a great substitute. But you know what's a really terrible one? When I want to take anything else, anything else and replace Jesus with it, it will never meet the mark. It will never be as good. And I just want to be honest with you guys tonight. I don't know how many of you guys are like flirting with the idea of these other things that just seem so attractive. And you wholeheartedly know that to pursue those things, you're you're pushing Jesus aside. Let's be honest. We struggle with sex, pornography, drugs, alcohol, the desire to be popular, like all these things, selfishness, things, all these other things that we pursue. And we push Jesus aside to chase those things. They're terrible substitutes. They will never, never meet the mark of Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. Can I just ask you to be honest with yourself for just a second as we finish? What are you replacing Jesus with? What's taking the place of Jesus in your life? Can I beg you to look back to the cross? To look back to Jesus and say, Lord, I want you more than anything else. You guys, just bow your heads with me. Close your eyes for just a second. I know this is kind of, this is a big passage to chew on. I get it. And this is a big thing I'm asking of you tonight. It's not just some little thing we're talking about. It's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to take your life and go, God, I'm just laying the whole thing at your feet and depending on you. And so I'm not asking you flippantly. Like, I, I get it. I get how hard this is. But I'm asking you to trust God when you, when you pray to him 
and say, Lord, will you just show me the things that are trying to substitute Jesus in my heart? Will you give me the courage to take it all and lay it at your feet and trust Jesus above everything else, desire Jesus above everything else? You know, I, I know because some of you came and talked to me even before this service tonight. And you had me pray with you, said, Rob, like, I'm struggling with this thing. Will you just pray with me about this? So I, I know that we're there tonight. And I know there's a few of you. God's already working this in your heart. So here's what I want to ask you to do. If that's you and you're like, man, there are some things that keep wanting to take the place of Christ in me. Can I pray for you tonight? Can we go before God together and pray and ask him to make a change in you? Will you, will you just do me a favor by slipping your hand up and say, like, that's me. Like, Rob, will you just pray for me? I got something going on in me, and I want Jesus more than anything. I see your hands. Anybody else? That's me. Like, I just, I need you to pray. Because I want God, I want Jesus to be more to me than everything else. Keep your hands up for just a second. Life group leaders, will you just peek around and see if those are your kids? If they're in your group and pray with them later. Let me pray for you right now. And just as we go do that, I want to ask one more question. If you're here tonight, you're like, I, I've never been forgiven by Jesus. I've never even like trusted in him to save me before. I need that first. I, I need to know who Jesus is and I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven by God. If that's you tonight and you want to know how to be forgiven by God for your sin, how to have this eternal life that he promises in this passage, will you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you too tonight? That's me, like I need to be saved. I want that eternal life, I want forgiveness. Will you just slip your hand up and say, pray for me, Rob? Awesome. All right, let me pray. Father God, we love you so much. God, you are everything. Lord Jesus, you are everything. Thank you for forgiving us when we don't deserve it. Thank you for sending your only son to die for us and to raise again to give us brand new life. And we can stand here and worship because we can scream out, Jesus is alive. We're not ashamed of that. We're pumped because our Savior lives today. Thank you for loving us. Will you help those who raise their hands tonight to say, God, I don't want to replace you with anything. I want Jesus more than everything else. Father, will you give them the courage to do that? Will you give them the strength through the Holy Spirit to live for you and you alone? And for those who raise their hands to be saved tonight, God, I pray that they would seek out a leader, that our leaders would have conversations with them tonight, that they would understand your forgiveness, and God, that they would be saved. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.